What are you doing, Wilson? Well, Tim, I'm admiring my yams. <laughs> Should I leave you alone? Hey, uh, we're ordering uh, Chinese food. If you want anything, let me know what it is, and uh, I'll order it. What is Chandler Bing's job? Dave's lawn to punish him for painting my house. Calvin, if you start that lawnmower, I'm gonna come out here tomorrow night, I'm gonna put on a second coat. Please won't you be my neighbor. We needed that much of a lead-in to have anybody think I could remotely be close to Fred Rogers. Good morning, Green Tree Community Church. Welcome. It's good to see everybody. You're dressed nice and cool for summer. I'm going to keep this on for a little while, keep in character, but I might uh, take it off after a little bit. It's good to be together again. At least uh, we're starting to be together again. We have uh, missed one another's fellowship, and so it's nice to to get started. We'll see uh, see how this whole thing shakes out over the next few months, but we're glad uh, for as many folks as could make it uh, today. Good to see some folks outside as well. Uh, glad folks are enjoying the beautiful day. Next Sunday, you can be outside again, but it's going to be a lot hotter. Uh, we are beginning, by the way, before I do that, let me say good morning also to our folks who are streaming live. My name is Tom Rex. I'm one of the pastors here at Green Tree, not to be confused with Fred Rogers on any stretch of the imagination. But we are beginning a sermon series this morning uh, asking the question, won't you be my neighbor? Uh, what does it mean from a biblical perspective uh, to be and to have good neighbors? This is certainly uh, a time in our culture uh, in our uh, in our communities where uh, neighborliness is, is stretched pretty thin, partially because we can't be together, but also uh, there are issues that are dividing uh, our culture and our country in significant ways. There is a lot of pain and anxiety. There are issues uh, of race and justice, and there seems to be uh, a good bit of angst and fear uh, and even even animosity and hatred. Uh, does the church have a role in this? Do we have a responsibility? Do we have an opportunity? Uh, and if we do, what does that mean for us uh, to serve as good neighbors in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our, in our workplaces, whether they be virtual or whether they be face-to-face? -face? We have a great need, I believe, in our culture today. Uh, this is a time where being neighborly is, is at a premium. So what we want to do for the next few weeks is we want to understand uh, the biblical definition of what it means 
uh, to engage in that word neighbor and how to apply it to our lives. We're going to do an overview today, kind of an introduction, lay the found work for the next several weeks. And as we do so, we're going to look at a lot of different Bible verses. So uh, typically at Green Tree, I'll read the passage right up front and we'll go through one passage. Today, we're going to kind of be all over the map in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So you can follow along uh, in your Bibles if you can uh, keep up that way better and easier. Today will probably be on the screen. Let me give you just a quick overview uh, of this notion of neighbors when it comes to Scripture. Uh, scripture uses the word neighbor over 150 times. 25 books in the Old Testament, 11 books in the New Testament uh, include the word. Sometimes the word is used in, in passing. Uh, in Joshua chapter 9, for example, they're talking about the, uh, the Jewish folks who have come out of Egypt are now moving into the promised land, and it said... They, they heard about some other folks living in the land that they were their neighbors, simply informational. Uh, but there are other times when it's more directive, when it's more instructional or teaching. Uh, God has created us to be relational beings. We, we, uh, we love being in interaction with one another. That's part of being created in the image of God. And so our, interaction, our interactions as neighbors is keenly significant. What's fascinating about Scripture, which is opposite from typically how I think, and I think kind of collectively how we think, uh, we want people to be good neighbors to us. We want to be treated fairly by our neighbors. We want our neighbors to respect our rights. But the Bible doesn't speak of neighbor in these terms. It teaches us rather how to critique our own neighboring characteristics. In other words, what the Bible is not interested in is telling you which neighborhood to move in so you'll have great neighbors. What the Bible does is it teaches me what it means for me to be a good neighbor. It tells me and you how to evaluate our ability and our desire to be a good neighbor. Summertime in our culture, traditionally spent with neighbors, with family, with friends, Memorial Day and Labor Day with, with Fourth of July right in the middle, kind of bookend our summer holidays. All of those are things that have to do with cookouts and hanging out by the pool or just chatting over uh, the back fence. Those are they're normal, positive neighbor experiences for us. However, there can be times when there is friction with neighbors, disputes over noise, property lines, or living next to somebody who always borrows my stuff. That can be common. Sin enters into every human relationship, including our relationship as neighbors. So how do disciples of Jesus be godly neighbors? Is their understanding of loving our neighbor the same as the understanding of our Lord? And if my understanding is off base, am I willing to submit my will to his? When I'm tempted, when you're tempted to see what's wrong with our neighbor, are we willing to look at our own hearts. Won't you be my neighbor? Let's spend a moment of prayer and then we'll begin to dive into God's word. Will you pray with me? I'll give you a moment for silent prayer and just ask the Lord to speak to you this morning. Father, it has been a long time since we have been together physically. And Lord, we're just beginning to come back together. It's just a small fraction of our congregation that's able 
to meet together this morning. But Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for the opportunity to see folks. I thank you for the opportunity uh, after the service to, to go outside and to, to say hello to folks and to catch up with people and hear a little bit about what's going on in our lives. Father, thank you that you've created us to be neighbors, uh, to be in relationship with one another. And this reflects the glory and the beauty of the, the community of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, we are always tempted to look out for ourselves first and others second. And so as we come to this study for the next few weeks, uh, you're going to challenge that thinking, that intuition on our part. You're going to call us to look at this notion of being a neighbor from your lens instead of ours. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us and that you would give us teachable hearts and minds. Father, we want to worship you with our intellect as much as we worship you with our heart and our emotions. So, Father, there is probably some new learning here. There's probably some corrective learning here. Father, there are many things that you want to do in our hearts uh, through the study of your word, and we pray for all of those things. Uh, We pray that you would uh, lead us and teach us and correct us as only you can. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me stay in the way of your teaching today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to uh, start off our study again uh, this morning. We're going to look at this kind of universally from uh, kind of a 35,000-foot view. We're just going to talk in general principles about what the Bible says about uh, being neighbors. And then as the weeks go on, we'll get into a little bit more detail. Uh, But I have four observations and then a summation. So that's a nice way of saying that I actually have five things I want to talk about this morning. The sermon in the sentence is this, the Bible teaches me to approach my neighbor relationships not by demanding my rights, but by putting my neighbor's care ahead of my own. The world tells us to look out for ourselves, and the Bible tells us that we ought to look out for our neighbors. Not the void of looking out for ourselves, but certainly there is an order uh, that is reflective of God's care and his love for us that he wants us to live out in this world. Uh, I want to start off with my first observation, going to the Old Testament and thinking about my neighbor and my relationship with my neighbor in terms of the law. Now, when I say the law, I don't mean the law of the United States. I mean the Mosaic law, the law that God gave to the people of Israel as they were coming out of Egypt. And if we go to Exodus chapter 20, uh, the first part of Exodus chapter 20 is the list of the Ten Commandments. And here uh, we're going to see a lot of interaction with neighbors. I've just picked one uh, to give an example, but seven of the Ten Commandments are actually geared towards our relationship with our neighbors. So this commandment, anybody know which one? If, if some of you guys worship guys were in the first service, you can't answer. Anybody know which commandment this is? You got a one in ten chance of being right. What number is it? Like I see some fingers. Seven? Nope, you're close. Three? Nope. Nope. Eight? Yeah, keep a little higher. Keep going. Nope. Almost ten. Yes. Very good. You win. <laughs> good job, Jake. Um, the tenth commandment uh, really specifically speaks directly about our relationship with our neighbors. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. The law here reflects God's perfect morality. God wants us to live in harmony with one another. He wants us to live by caring for one another, and I can't do that if I am not content. That's what this this commandment is all about. This commandment is about me being content 
knowing that I can trust God for what he has given me, therefore, I can joyfully obey and I can serve my community by, by serving my neighbor, by being a content neighbor, by not looking across the street or across, across the next door, across the fence, saying, I should have that or that should belong to me, and, and be disgruntled. Disgruntledness leads to bad neighbor relationships, just in case you weren't aware. But when we reflect God's perfection, and we are content. And that's, that's the opposite of coveting is to say, Lord, you've given me what you've given me. Whether it's my family, whether it's my property, whether it's my job, those things are from your hand and I know I can trust you. And so the practical application is not only that my heart not covet things, but that that heart feeling, that, that temptation to covet doesn't move into real life action where, where it can hurt other people. So Deuteronomy chapter 19, this law is being extrapolated out. And in Deuteronomy 19, it says this, you shall not move your neighbor's landmark by which the men of old have set in the inheritance that you hold in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. They're saying, don't move the boundary lines. Don't cheat it over a little bit and say, well, actually, this corner of the field belongs to me, not to you. The notion there is that our behavior follows our belief, does it not? If I think I, I can get away with something and I don't have any care in my heart for my neighbor, I actually covet what they have, then I'm going to act a certain way. But if I look at my neighbor with genuine care and friendship and love, I'm going to look at that neighbor in a very, very different way. Let me give you an example, the positive side of the equation. Quinn Waters had seen a lot of tough times in his short three years of life. So when the preschooler was put in isolation in his home as part of his treatment for brain cancer, his family prepared themselves to help him endure one more heartbreaking hardship. But then Waters' neighbors stepped in. Deciding that while they couldn't do anything about the cancer, they could certainly keep Quinn entertained. At first, it was just nearby friends doing silly puppet shows, juggling, singing, playing games outside the large window where the little boy watched delighted. But as word spread, more and more people showed up from the community and then from around the country. Quinn nicknamed the Mighty Quinn, and his family have now been visited by athletes, police departments, dance teams, and even got his own private concert from the Dropkick Murphys, all from his Quindo. There's an example. By the way, Dropkick Murphys, if you haven't heard of them, don't, don't bother to listen. They will give you a headache, uh, at least if you're close to my age. Um, but there's a notion of someone reflecting the, the morality of God that says you love your neighbor as yourself. You care for them just as much as you would care for yourself. The law is not there to be a burden to us. It's there to show us how to follow God. We can warp the law. We can make it something it was never meant to be. We can make it a, a means of salvation whereby we try to earn God's grace, but it won't work. The law was put in order for us to see how to reflect our care that God has given us, that care shared with others. But there's not just the neighbor, my neighbor in the law, but secondly, there's my neighbor and then there's practical wisdom. And I would encourage you to look at the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs in particular when it comes to the notion of what does it mean, practically speaking, to be a neighbor. I'm just gonna give you three quick examples of this, okay? How about my neighbor and my words? Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly I will destroy, this is the Lord speaking, whoever has a haughty look 
and in an arrogant heart I will not endure. And then in Proverbs chapter 11, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Scripture says that if I'm going to be neighborly, I ought never to speak ill of my neighbor. I would certainly never speak ill of my neighbor outside of their presence, which brings us to social media, does it not? I know when God penned uh, the book of Proverbs, he knew that we were going to have all the platforms that we were going to have today by which we could attack one another, by which we could undo one another, by which we could destroy each other emotionally. What is happening on social media today is an absolute horror when it comes to how we are treating one another. We seem to feel safe hiding behind the screen and saying things that we ought never say and we never would dare say face to face. If I'm going to be serious about following God as a neighbor, I must be serious about my words and my heart towards my neighbor. But secondly, there's also not only my words, but what about my neighbor and their words? There are times when my neighbor can be hurtful to me. Perhaps you've received uh, attacks from social media. Perhaps someone on their Facebook pages talked about something they didn't like about you in a very public way. And, and there's our, our friend who feels very vexed. Uh, he's been treated poorly. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. How do you ignore an insult? How do you ignore an insult when, 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 they, when they come after you on Twitter? or on Facebook in a very public way. The only way I know to really ignore an insult is to put my complete and total trust in my God. And I fall so short of that, uh, that I'm, I'm, I, 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 I'm preaching it to you because it's what God's word says, not because I live it perfectly. There are many times when I wanna step up and defend myself. There are times when I wanna say, wait a minute, you got that wrong. You don't talk about me that way. But if I'm going to be the wise, prudent person, I'm going to let that roll off my back. Well, the only way to allow that to roll off my back and be emotionally healthy is to put my trust in my God who can care for me, to share my hurt perhaps with my friends and ask them to pray for me and ask for God to give me the heart I need, not to just kind of pretend like everything's okay, but to be wise and know that God's protection is enough for me. So my words, their words, but what about just my physical presence? This is a great verse. I, I, I love this verse. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Uh, here's here's the, uh, the bottom one is the introverts welcome mat. Uh, it just says go away. <laughs> it comes, comes right to the point. But uh, maybe you've had a neighbor like this. Or maybe in your, in your youth, before you gain some discernment, uh, you were always at the neighbor's house. Uh, and sometimes our presence ought, ought to be maybe felt but not, not, not seen. Perhaps we should keep some distance to allow them to say, boy, it's really great to see you and actually mean it. My, my buddy Bruce and I have been trying to persuade our wives to, uh, at some point in the future, to get a motorhome or RV and to travel around the U.S., just the four of us. Let's just go look at stuff. And they always say the same thing. The two of you go and have a nice time and take a lot of pictures and come back and tell us all about it. What are they saying? They're saying, no, go away. They're saying, that's a little too much for us. When I'm thinking about just the practical wisdom of being a neighbor, 
Do you understand that I need to give my neighbor a little breathing room? Now, there are dozens and dozens of more observations like this in the book of Proverbs. So I simply wanted to give those as examples, not the end-all, be-all about neighboring and in the book of Proverbs, but perhaps over the course of the next few weeks, let me encourage you to read the book. 32 chapters, just read it, uh, kind of from start to, to finish, 31 chapters, sorry, and uh, just listen and look for teaching on what it means to have healthy human relationships with one another. There's a lot of practical wisdom in Scripture on this. Thirdly, not just my neighbor in the law, my neighbor in practical wisdom, but we've alluded to this. What about my neighbor in a sin-filled world? We don't live in a perfect world. I'm sure that doesn't come as a shock to anybody in this room this morning. There can be uh, some real minefields when it comes to engaging with neighbors. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah points these out in chapter 9. And he says this, Let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother, for every brother is a deceiver and every neighbor goes about as a slander. Everyone deceives his neighbor and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully with his mouth. Each speaks peace to his neighbor, but in his heart, he plans an ambush for him. The Bible offers us a word of caution when it comes to our relationship with our neighbors. And the word of caution is this. We live in a sin-filled world. And that doesn't just mean out there. It means in our own hearts. Neighboring is hard work. Being a good neighbor is not a simple thing because there are going to be times when you're going to be upset with your neighbor. There are going to be times when your neighbor could be your spouse, <laughs> the person right next to you. Your neighbor could be your kids or your parents, uh, not just, just someone who's next door. And my sinful heart can be very harmful in these relationships. And the, and the temptation that we have to avoid here is to read these verses and think about all those folks out there, all those people out there that are dishonest, all those people out there that, that I can't trust you know, any further that I can throw. Go back to the screen before, if you would, for just a second. Look at that list. Let everyone be near, beware of his neighbor and put no trust in whom? In any brother, for every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slander. Everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. Who falls outside that list? You certainly don't, and I certainly don't. We're all included. That's the impact that sin has in this world. If I'm going to be a good neighbor, I need to, I need to be aware of my own sin. I need to look at that verse and it needs to become a prayer in my heart. God, please protect me from my own desire. I might want to deceive you just because I want you to like me better. I might just make stuff up about myself, not because I just want to go around and lie to everybody. I just don't want you to know the bad stuff about me. I can, I can come up with all kinds of great reasons why I ought not quite tell you the truth. And yet God says it's going to destroy ultimately your relationships. So how do we as believers love in a sin-filled world, especially when you can be taken advantage of. So I, I read your story on the positive side. Let me read your story on the negative side. When a football, uh, when, excuse me, when a Florida man treated his neighbors to a Tampa Bay Buccaneers football game, they were thrilled until they uncovered some startling information. Authorities said the man actually paid for the tickets with a credit card he had stolen from the couple. 
(laughs) And then he invited them to the game. But that's not all. He allegedly charged almost $3,000 in total to their card and made other purchases, including flowers, food from Panera Bread, and legal services. Neighbors can't always be trusted. I love, I love this uh, far, uh, far side cartoon. Uh, Gloria, it's time you found out the truth about me. I'm not a dermatologist, so I'm really a taxidermist. The, think about it for a second. It'll, it'll, you'll, you'll get it. We have to be careful and wise about being neighbors in a sin-filled world. But friends, that doesn't start with looking at everybody around us. It starts with looking at our own hearts. I have to hold my heart up to the mirror of Scripture and say, where am I not loving my neighbors the way I could? And asking God to deal with that sin in my heart and give me the confidence to follow him and trust him in these relationships. Because fourthly, and the thing we want to hit, hit most significantly is my neighbor according to Jesus. How did the Lord live and what did he teach about being a neighbor? We're going to, in a few weeks, we're going to dive into, we're going to do a deep dive into this uh, part of Luke chapter 10, but I'm going to use it this morning just by way of introduction. We're going to come back to it because there's a lot here. Jesus is approached one day by a lawyer who's looking for a way to trip Jesus up. He isn't, he isn't looking for a reason to follow Jesus. He isn't coming to him for salvation. He's coming to see if he can outsmart Jesus. And so the lawyer stands up and he puts Jesus to the test. Teacher, what shall I do? to inherit eternal life. And he said, Jesus answers, what's written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. Jesus answers him. He says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now that should have stopped him immediately. He should have looked at that list and looked at his own life and said, well, now I'm already guilty of a thousand crimes. Now what do I do? And Jesus could have said, well, that's why I'm here, because I can fix that for you, but he doesn't, all right? He said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor, right? That's the question we want to, that we we tend to ask. We're the smug one, right? Or Jesus, who's my neighbor? How far am I really supposed to take that? There's there's Mr. Smug. Uh, I love that, that look on his face, like, who are you to tell me what's right or what's wrong. And what the lawyer demonstrates is a self-centeredness that is absolutely destructive, not only to the man, he doesn't even realize how much he's hurting himself, but it also will destroy a community. It will destroy fellowship. It will destroy relationships. And I would, I would say self-centeredness is one of the sins that is rampant in the church today. I believe we can be so concerned about ourselves that we fail to see the need to care for others. And so the, the question comes back to Jesus, well, who really is my neighbor? I mean, how far are we supposed to take this? And the section I'm not going to read for you, but I'm going to sum up for you this morning is this. Jesus tells the story of a guy who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he gets mugged. He gets beat up badly. He gets beaten within an inch of his life, so to speak. He gets robbed of everything he has, and he's left for dead on the side of the road, and the desperados run off. Three people come by within just a short amount of time. The first one's a priest, right? The pastor comes by, and he sees the guy, clearly sees him, and he crosses over on the other side of the road and pretends like it didn't happen. The next guy to come by is a lawyer, like the guy who asked this question. He looks to the guy, has the exact same reaction, passed by on the other side of the street. And then a guy from another ethnic background. In fact, from an ethnic background that was despised by the Jews. So the guy that's laying there half dead or three quarters dead is now confronted by a guy who, who they absolutely would hate each other if they saw each other on the street. 
They wouldn't do business with each other. They wouldn't speak to each other. If they had a chance to, to kind of to mess the other guy up in a business deal, they would take advantage of it. They literally came from two cultures that hated each other. And he sees this guy, and you think, what's he going to do? He's probably going to go through his pockets and look for loose change. Uh, you know, maybe take his sandals so he can make some use out of them, and then he's going to let them die. That's not what happens. The enemy of this man binds up his wounds, takes care of him. He gets off his, his own donkey, puts the guy on the donkey, takes him into town, takes him to the innkeeper, makes sure he's fixed up, gives the innkeeper some money for, for several nights stay. And he says, now look, I got to leave. Here's some money. Take care of this guy. When I come back, if you've had to spend anything beyond what I've given you, don't worry, I'll pay you for it. And off he goes, all right? Astounding. Nobody would have written a story that way. It just, that's not how life happens. Enemies don't do that for each other. But remember the guy's question, how far am I supposed to take this? So here's how Jesus responds at the end of the story. He says, you asked the wrong question. You're looking at this completely the wrong way. You'll never get to a life-giving answer if that's your question, but don't worry, I'm here to help you. And then he asks the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now the guy's painted into a corner. He's either got a, he's either got a lie or he's got to give the honest answer. He at least gives the honest answer. The one who showed him mercy. Jesus says, you go do likewise. You want to know what it means to love your neighbor? Look anywhere in the entire world. And anybody you see falls into that category. People that you have presuppositions about fall into that category. People that you don't want them to be around your kids, they fall into that category. People that you believe very, very difficultly politically or morally fall into that category. Everyone, Jesus says, deserves to be treated as an image bearer of God and experience kindness from those who claim to be his followers. That's a very different answer than the answer with which I tend to be comfortable and perhaps from which you tend to be comfortable. We don't mind going the extra half mile or so but to live in this radical way where we really love everyone or anyone, everyone is too nebulous, anyone that comes in across our path, until I'm going to love anyone who comes across my path within this definition, I'm going to fall short. In fact, until we embrace this definition, not abide by it, not grudgingly accept it, but until we embrace the notion that we are to go and do likewise, we have nothing to say to our culture that is of any worth on this topic. We have no right to judge anyone if we are not willing to follow Jesus into loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. That took Jesus to the cross because that's how Jesus loved you. And that's how Jesus loved me. And it cost him his life to bring me salvation and to bring you salvation. So as we think about being neighbors, we can think about it in terms of the law and we think about it in terms of the gospel and it comes to the same conclusion. The people of God are to reflect the image of God, the morality of God and the glory of God. Paul puts it this way in chapter 13 of Romans. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. If you want to reflect God's perfect morality, love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you want to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ, know that the answer is the same. Paul says to the churches in Galatia, for you are called to freedom, brothers. You're free from having the obligation of keeping the whole law. You can't do that. You've been set free from that by the cross of Christ. Now you live as the redeemed. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh or an opportunity to be selfish, but through love serve one another. And here's the repetition for the whole law. This fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The outworking of grace is the same as the reflection of the law. It brings glory to God. It loves my neighbor. And it also allows me to experience God's grace in a fuller and a more compassionate way. Let's think about that for the next few weeks. Will we be a neighbor? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the way in which Jesus demonstrates being a neighbor by going to the cross. Lord, I cannot imagine that sacrifice. Yet he did that because he loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's how he loved his father and he loved his neighbors himself. He saw the need, he knew that he could meet it, and he did so. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that as we embark on this uh, seven-week journey of considering what it means to be a neighbor, that you would work in our hearts, that your word would correct, it would challenge, it would uh, affirm where we're following you, it would strengthen all those things that you promised to do by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that Green Tree, individually as, as uh, disciples of Jesus and collectively, would be a neighbor that loves others as we love ourselves. To your glory and for the good of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.